Why is the thing that you should be doing often the hardest thing to start? Yes, ladies and gents, we're talking about our good old procrastination. Have you ever pondered why some habits are so hard to break and others so difficult to form? Can you really get more out of your 24 hours? You ever wish to just decode the secret behind effective self-development? How can you conquer the fear of judgment and thrive in social situations? Are you a hybrid entrepreneur? Do you even know what that term means? <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the Plus 1%, the mini podcast where we give you fresh insights in less than it would take you to finish off your cup of espresso, which also happens to be one of my favorite drinks. If you're on a quest for self-improvement or simply curious about how to squeeze in the extra 1% out of your day, then you are in the right place. No fluff, just compact, powerful insights that will help you on your journey in five minutes or less. So go ahead, click on the next episode. Let's grow together with Plus 1%. Would you rather... God, this is like an awful start. Would you rather date <laughs> Jessica Simpson? <no? laughs> oh. oh, dear. Anyway, let's start again. I was going to keep this in. You can keep it in. <laughs> Would you rather have a $100,000 job in London or have a $60,000 job near Birmingham? This seems like the easiest question ever. <laughs> But welcome to The Needle Movers, where we explore thought-provoking concepts that challenge the status quo and empower you to live a more intentional and fulfilling life. And on this episode, hopefully you make that what seems like a relatively simple question somewhat more difficult. In today's episode, we continue to delve into the eye-opening perspectives shared by Tim Ferriss in his groundbreaking book, The 4-Hour Workweek. If you've listened to our previous episode, you'll know we've already started on this. So go back and have a listen before you start this episode. Otherwise, jump right in. Get ready to discover the surprising advantages of living in a less expensive city while being paid a lower salary. This concept has the potential to revolutionize your approach to work, lifestyle, and financial freedom. So imagine this for a second, right? You're living in a vibrant city, enjoying a fulfilling career, and yet having more financial security and freedom than ever before. It probably sounds too good to be true, right? Well, in the world of the four-hour workweek, which is the book that we covered last week, Tim Ferriss challenges the conventional wisdom that associates high salaries with expensive living costs. Now, this might come as a little bit of a shocker to people, but earning more money doesn't necessarily mean that you're better off. Tim Ferriss presents a provocative idea that left me rethinking of the relationship between income expenses and the overall quality of life. So today, we will deep dive into this concept, exploring how it can unlock a world of possibilities for individuals seeking financial independence and a more balanced lifestyle. This topic kind of reminds me when I think about lawyers and management consultants and doctors and people who get paid what seems a lot, but then their hours seem a lot. <laughs> but if you take, for an example, let's imagine someone called Sarah. They're a talented graphic designer living in New York City. And then let's also imagine Alex, 
also a graphic designer, but residing in a more affordable city such as, say, Austin, Texas. Now, Sarah earns a six-figure salary of 120k per year, but finds herself working 60-hour weeks, which might be modest to some because they might be thinking 80 hours or what's not. But let's just say 60 hours in this example, just to cover the exorbitant rent, transportation, and other living expenses that come with living in the Big Apple. Despite her higher income, she feels trapped in a cycle of long work hours and limited free time. Now, funnily enough, as someone who lives in a big city, I found people tend to try to compensate for less time through increased expenses and social activities, which may also eat into their own personal time and be at the detriment to their health, just trying to claw back at the time lost due to that work and the option to live in that city. Also, to put things into perspective, if we consider that the housing costs alone, Sarah pays, let's say, a staggering 3500 which is below the median in New York, <laughs> uh, for just a small apartment in New York City, which amounts to around 42000 per year. So I'm going to start off by saying that all along, while studying and in my first job, I wanted to be Sarah. <laughs> oh, well. I, okay. I accept it. Now it's too late. I did, I didn't use Sarah from now. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, you know very well. <laughs> Whatever you say, Sarah. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted a London job, right? I wanted a London salary and I wanted the London lifestyle. And, and I think this book really opened up my eyes a little bit. And here's why. So let me introduce you to Alex. He earns the modest salary of $60,000 per year. And he lives in Austin, but enjoys a significantly lower cost of living with more affordable housing, lower transportation expenses, and generally just a less expensive lifestyle. Alex can comfortably cover his essential costs, his essential needs, and have a work-life balance. He works a standard 40 hours a week, and he's got ample time to pursue the hobbies, personal interests, passion projects, or whatever he may want to do. With the extra financial cushion and a lower cost of living, Alex has actually got the freedom to invest in his passion, explore new opportunities, and prioritize a healthier work-life balance. He can allocate the funds towards their personal development, towards traveling, towards building his own creative projects without being overwhelmed by the financial burden that Sarah faces. So if you take Alex in contrast, he pays $1,500 per month for a spacious apartment in Austin which totals up to $18,000 per year. The significant difference in housing costs alone allows Alex to save an additional $24,000 per year when you compare it to Sarah, who was in the Big Apple. And on top of all of this, Alex works 20 hours less per month compared to Sarah. So if you then end up looking at Sarah's hourly, rate, hourly wage, it's not as significant as he first appears. I know people who moved out of London, if we take it locally, and went from a, well, like trying to buy a flat or two-bed flat max to buying a five-bedroom house. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I know more than just you. It's like, it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know why I did this to myself. It's kind of in, in, incredible. But if we read it back to the book, right? So in the four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss introduces a fascinating perspective on the relationship between salary and cost of living. So in his book, he argues that living in an expensive city, such as New York or London, 
often necessitates a high salary just to cover the inflated costs of housing, transportation, and other expenses. And depending on the job you have, they're likely to give you a London stipend just because they're aware it costs more to be where you are. However, this seemingly attractive scenario often comes with a trade-off. This may be longer work hours, increased stress, and limited free time, like the example given of Sarah. Ferris challenges this traditional mindset by proposing an alternative approach. So according to Ferris, choosing to live in a less expensive city can allow you to maintain a comfortable standard of living with that lower salary. So by reducing your financial obligations, such as rent, daily expenses, you can gain control over your time and have the freedom to pursue your passion and interests. So Ferris advocates to optimize your lifestyle by focusing on what truly brings you joy and fulfillment rather than being trapped in that cycle of earning a high income only to sustain the really expensive lifestyle that you can't afford anyway. So the example of Sarah and Alex, they showcase how prioritizing a lower cost of living can enable individuals like Alex to achieve financial stability, maintaining a fulfilled lifestyle with a lower salary. And it challenges the traditional notion that higher salary automatically leads to a higher quality of life, highlighting the importance that thinking strategically and designing your life accordingly redefines success to your own terms. And understanding the definition of success is vital because it's only when you define your own version of success, you are able to make more intelligent decisions and it will in turn make you happier. Now, I find that this super interesting because as a consultant, you go into a business and you don't just look at revenue, right? If you're looking at where the business is going wrong, you will look at profit and profit is always going to be an equation of revenue minus cost. But somehow, I think we've always been told of just looking at revenue when it comes to our career, which is mind-boggling. Like, why would you why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense to do that. I think if you get a financial advisor, they'll quickly wisen you up, <laughs> <laughs> which we managed to do. But it's, it's very true. You tend to look at the big number. And then also, with bonuses and everything, uh, if you've managed to be uh, in a privileged position to get one, you've probably noticed that taxes don't give a damn about... <laughs> About the big number that it starts with. It's like, actually. Don't get me started on taxes. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, one great examples. Um, Say Austin, Texas and New York and even London are somewhat limitations to the full concept that Ferris proposed, which is coined geo-arbitrage. So geo, as it's the scale with which it can be applied and was suggested in the book actually, is actually a global one. So geo-arbitrage involves taking advantage of the difference in cost of living, but not only between different regions like, say, Birmingham and London, but it means you're, you earn money in a strong currency like US dollars, euros, or pounds, and spend in a country where costs are significantly lower. So take this scale and just amplify it. What we have described thus far includes maximizing purchasing power. So by living in areas with a lower cost, of living, you can maximize the purchasing power of your income. This means you can afford a better lifestyle than you could uh, than you could if you lived in a more expensive area like these big cities. However, Ferris suggests through scaling this, you can also reap additional benefits. So, starting with currency differentials, if you earn a strong currency and spend in a weaker one, your money goes way further. For example, if you earn in the U.S. and get dollars 
but live in a country where the local currency is less valuable, your dollar will buy more. And I say this with the mindset of how that is a privileged position, but also I really love to work in Bali <laughs> while making UK money. I was thinking the same, like I would love to make my salary and move to Bali. <laughs> exactly. If you're able, and that brings me to the second point, which is remote work. So with the rise of remote work, I was about to say thanks to COVID, but I don't really want to thank COVID. So let's just say with the rise of it, <laughs> living in a different geographical location uh, than your employer is more possible than ever right now. And this opens up opportunities to live in low-cost countries or areas while maintaining the same income. And so even if you're getting 60K or 30K even, your money goes a lot further. Then we go on to time and mobility. Geo-arbitrage is not just about money. It's also about time and mobility. So living in a cheaper area, wherever it is, can free up time because you need to work less to cover your costs, like in the example of living between New York versus Austin, Texas. This can give you more time to enjoy your life, pursue your hobbies, or start new ventures. Fourthly, there's temporary relocation. So geo-arbitrage doesn't have to be permanent. You could spend part of the year in different locations to take advantage of the best each has to offer. For example, some digital nomads move around to enjoy perpetual springtime. Basically, I had a saying years ago, which was summer all year, and it just happened to work out for me because I was a consultant who had to travel, and it was always sunny where I was. <laughs> you were in the desert. That's not very it hard, is it now? It's sunny. <laughs> but it's true. They like If you're able to plan it correctly, you can decide what season you want to live in and just live by that and then finally the fifth one and just as important is reduced stress lower cost of living means less financial stress you don't have to worry as much about making ends meet which can lead to a better quality of life so it, this is all very interesting right because we we got into this uh i guess discussion a few times uh I, for example like mark has been looking for a house and i'm telling him move to rugby you got a bigger house and uh, Mark has been like, yes, yeah, screw you and your geographical location. <laughs> uh, but we, we've discussed this a few times. And uh, as I mentioned, I live, I live in rugby. Mark lives in London. And in terms of cost of living, we are a good reflection of the examples that we discussed. Uh, perhaps Mark is Sarah and I'm more of Alex, the putting things in perspective. So it turns out that, uh, that I should be calling you Sarah. But hey, Sarah. <laughs> but it, it doesn't make me right. and doesn't make Mark wrong and vice versa. Um, we, we made the decision according to our own personal goals. And I think when you try to figure out what you should be doing, perhaps there's a, there's a few questions that, uh, that we can leave you with that could help you understand what's best for you. Perhaps. So let's go through four points that, uh, that I've definitely used in the past and, uh, and the Mark has definitely uh, used in the past. So for point one, ask yourself, what, what are my priorities? Do, do I want to work, work and make career the focus on my life? Or do I want to prioritize a work-life balance? You know, there is nothing wrong if you're like passionate about your career or perhaps you've got a company that uh, if based in a busy, expensive city, it's more likely to thrive and then as a consequence will make you happy. But also ask yourself, how many hours do I really want to work per week? And that's the commute matter as well. And how long will I will be traveling for? You know, some people love their commute. Because listen to the podcast, listen to music, it's time away from the wife or the husband. <laughs> you know, some people might love it. But it's all questions which are valid. I guess the next question is more about the people that are important to you. So these questions are focused on friends, say family. And where are your friends and family? Are they important to you, important enough for you to be to want to be located around them? 
and how often would you even want to visit them? Now, for some people, they might not be as uh, as a crux. And I know myself, like Val says, I'm looking to buy a house. And it's funny when I talk to my peers and uh, people higher than me where they're like, oh, because I don't have kids or um, a family, like they're like, well, it right now, you might want to be located around your friends and family. But as you get older, you just want uh, you know a house that's big enough for them and you like your priority shifts. So number one shifts and that will determine, actually, I don't need to be this. But I also have friends who are looking to buy houses again now and they are trying to make sure they stay within a nice uh, 30 minutes, say, uh, of their family because some of us grew up with a culture where you know, you're know you not raised by just your parents, you're raised by the community and that community they'd want is the one where they can just basically leave their kids with their parents, <laughs> with their grandparents, and be like, take care of them. I still want my life. But it's all questions that are worth considering to determine, oh, is this a big factor? I guess moving to rugby, you didn't care about us in London. <laughs> and then you try to make us all leave to go there. Well, I was just thinking about what you said, like, you know, th- they say it takes a village, right? Um, but th- you're, right, you're right in some way, because uh, retrospectively, um, I-, I, think, I think rugby worked for us, and I think it still works for us. Uh, but in some way, I look at it and like, actually, I'm probably a little bit too far from uh, from friends and uh, and family. And retrospectively, I probably move maybe like 30 to 45 minutes a little bit closer. Um, but at the same time, I'm not shy of um, of driving. Um, and uh, I mean, I've done it before that you invited me to a house party and I drove all the way to yours two, two and a half hours and I drove back two and a half hours. So, you know, <laughs> I'm the same for you. But onto the next question um, that you should probably be asking yourself is, what are your hobbies and activities that bring you joy? And are they even location limited? So for example, it may be that you're part of a community, maybe it's a spiritual one, maybe it's a, it's a team, uh, whatever it might be. But if those are important to you, you may want to keep them in consideration because that closeness with the people that you have from that community, from that activity uh, that you do, will have a huge impact on how you end up feeling. And perhaps you might end up in a space where it makes the commute to those places awful. And maybe it makes a, a longer commute that, and then you end up regretting things. So it's definitely a question that you want to ask yourself. The final one is about the finances. So what are other specific financial considerations you would need to make when transitioning if you do determine that you would prefer to live in a different area or city? Are there shares that would be lost? Are there company cars that could be provided? Uh, travel, how much would that come to? And how do they impact the previously mentioned priorities and values? Um, when it comes to hobbies and commute, it's funny because those are, for myself personally, a big and same, same with family. So you're getting down to this list and I'm like, and then what's the cost? Because all of these add up incrementally. For instance, if Val uh, has moved to rugby, but then he had to travel to London every single day, it might make it very inconvenient. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Maybe. And that's where it becomes a matter of how can I sustain this? So for instance, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're seeing a video, we do this virtually. We have taken time to do it in person, but we made it like for the best of both of our worlds. We found a branch that still sustains it and works out for us. Whereas others might prefer to always be in person and that might dictate where you choose to live. For me, it won't. I'm not moving to rugby, just in case anyone's curious. If I ever did listen to a future episode and see. So those were the first uh, the four questions. And if the excitement of living in a fancy city wears off, when the excitement of a new role or company is gone, those compromises that you made become more significant and painful. So make sure you consider them early 
in the decision-making process so that you don't end up with more pain down the line. With that being said, uh, this brings us to the end of our second episode on the four-hour work week. If you've still not read it by now, at least listen to a blink if it's on there. There's so many. Have AI tell you a summary, but still I'd propose read the book. It's very interesting. It's critically acclaimed for a reason. Um, as with that being said, I've been your host, Mark Jasons, joined by my co-host, Larry Tomasso. And until next time, adios.